welcome to episode 307 of Retro Encounter, RPG fans' weekly podcast of many topics. I'm Mike Solosi, and today uh, I am going to, you know, how, how do I put this exactly? We're going to express some shame, express some remorse, and then forgive each other over the course of this podcast, but in a only celebratory, only positive way. Uh, we're bringing back a format that we I, had mostly retired in 2018, the Confessions episode. So, uh, who is going to confess today with me? Uh, first of all, Zach Oops. Hello, I'm ready to engage in my shame. And next of all, making his Retro Encounter debut, Corey Tishbein. Hey there, thanks for having me, and please don't fire me when we're done. We'll see, but uh, you, <laughs> and I sp- you and I spoke ahead of the episode, um, so I know what you're going to confess, and we'll see. But uh, listeners, maybe you uh, haven't heard one of these episodes before. We did two of them, one in 2016, one in 2018, where uh, three panelists, including me, uh, confessed to not having played certain games or certain RPG series. And uh, in, in, instead of mocking each other, or maybe, maybe we poked fun a little bit, but uh, this was not only to express shame, more to like just accept each other's gaps in our resume and maybe make some recommendations uh, over for you know how they could how could they they could resolve those gaps in their resume um in the 2016 episode i confessed to never having played a suikoden game and never having played a shadow hearts game and Shame. Fixed, and, and and fixed both of those uh, uh personal mistakes and in 2018 i confessed to never have playing a Soulsborne game and never having played a uh oh shoot what was the other one you know i don't remember but i still haven't played a Soulsborne game <laughs> i don't remember either I probably should have listened to those episodes or re-listened to them, uh, but it's a long time ago, and my memory is getting more fish-like with every month. So, <laughs> you and me both. But anyway, uh, we're bringing that back again. Each of us will confess to not having played two series of games, and then we'll discuss on uh, amongst each other, amongst ourselves, uh, how uh, th- uh, that person could best, uh, you know, um, make amends, so to speak. So uh, I think, Corey, let's have you go first, because you do have the uh, biggest bombs to drop here. Uh, but first, how long has it been since your last confession? Oh, boy. Um, I think we're on 22 years. Well, all right. Uh, let's, um, let's not start at the beginning, uh, but <laughs> let, only confess our video game sins right now. Uh, <laughs> what's one series that you're somewhat embarrassed not to have played? Well, I mean, I'm not somewhat embarrassed on this one. I'm incredibly embarrassed. And I think this first one might be particularly upsetting to you, Mike, because I think this series actually inspired one of your Twitter handles. So <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping that we can work on a path whereby you can forgive me and let me be on more podcasts after this. But <laughs> I've actually never played any of the Shin Megami Tensei games. Does that and include Persona? No, no, it doesn't. Okay. Thank okay. you. I'm I'm feeling more hopeful for redemption okay. right now. Right. Thank you. So, so um, only main series SMT. No, you, maybe you've played at least one Persona, maybe a little bit of Digital Devil Saga or, or a sprinkling of Devil Survivor in there. I've done one of those things. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, what's your impression of SMT? Like, like uh, what do you think it is and what's either keeping you from it or uh, what's your limited experience with it? Well, my impression is that at least the mainline entries are a darker, much more difficult, but equally lengthy version of Persona. So I've heard SMT3 in particular is tough as nails. Um, Zach, SMT3. 
That seems familiar. Indeed. <laughs> I will let Corey finish before I tell him that I sort of agree. <laughs> I'm sorry to hear that. Um, but my my understanding is that all the SMT mainline games, or most of them, I think they take place in modern day Tokyo, which is sort of novel. Um, and they deal with some kind of an apocalypse, um, which I'm kind of a sucker for games themed uh, accordingly. Um, and I've also been told that the games center on a cast of teenagers, kind of similar to Persona. Um, does that all sound right to y'all? Mostly. Um, okay. Uh, they all deal with the apocalypse. They all deal with uh, a, a Tokyo overrun with demons and a player character making contracts with the demons and battling demons and maybe slightly going to a demon side themselves and, uh, and, and making choices to how to if not necessarily undo the apocalypse, how to survive in the apocalypse. And I don't think they are all about teenagers. They seem like adults in SMT4, and they mostly take place in modern-day Tokyo, but SMT4 is also a weird exception because it's about, like, this weird uh, utopian city, and the, and Tokyo is like, below, is, like, below this floating city in ruins or something, and, and you're, like, a team from the floating city uh, on an expedition to old Tokyo sort of it's it's i haven't played smt4 so it's definitely more complicated than that uh but zach you and i played shin megami tensei 3 nocturne uh a month and a half ago or so for the podcast and for both of us it it was a struggle but i think we came out with slightly differing opinions on it that's true um so i mostly agree with your read at least in terms of smt3 Corey. Um, it is certainly darker than a Persona game. Even um, I'm playing Eternal Punishment literally right now. Um, but um, certainly darker than a Persona game. But in terms of difficulty, um, and I have said this a lot, I, based on my one experience with SMT, I didn't think it was necessarily incredibly hard. I thought it was just like weirdly cheap um, and not very fun. Like I never thought anything was like super challenging. It's like, but basically like to put it in terms of that, I think everyone can at least mostly agree with like the fights are like a puzzle. Um, And like, you have to like figure out like a a particular kind of weakness or a particular kind of mechanic um, that they're doing within the turn-based system. And you have to like, you know, kind of make your build based on that, Um, which, you know, is mostly fine. There were times that I found it, incredibly frustrating um and it's certainly less character driven than persona um but it is more atmospheric than persona um i did not personally love nocturne so your 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 sin has been absolved by me um (laughs) personally um but um i am not necessarily because until nocturne i would have had the same confession was it very grindy was that why it was frustrating or no, was it just no. repetitive it it was a little repetitive it was frustrating because like you would go into a fight and let's say for example like you are going against a boss and they literally can only be hit by one thing and that thing is for example lightning and if you don't have any um personas or demons on hand that you know have a lightning spell and you don't have any fusions available that give you a lightning spell then, like, you have to, like, do some really strange things to make it happen. It just became, like, a get into a fight, either not be able to engage in the mechanic fully and still get by, or don't get by it, and then, like, have to reset and then do it again. But, like, it would never take me more than once, because once I figured it out, it wasn't hard. It was just, like, a lot of menus, a lot of tinkering, and, I don't know, a lot of menus and tinkering was what I thought it was, honestly. 
and, and uh, I think of SMT3 more positively than Zach, even though he and I both had to sort of crunch to finish the game in time for the podcast in August. Uh, but I like menus tinkering and and uh, and collecting demons, so that those parts of the game appealed to me. Um, it, it does have a uh, SMT3 specifically, at least, does have a less character-driven story than Persona does, but uh, or than any Persona game does. But it was like sort of philosophy-driven and environment-driven in a way that I thought was at least interesting. I mean, I, I also like puzzle boss fights. So for me, the uh, the mo- more frustrating thing was the dungeon design. It, it was some of the dungeons were just too long or too obtuse with things like teleporter puzzles or uh or 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 dead ends with trap doors that 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 basically you had to explore almost every inch of them to properly get through them and i i didn't love that but overall i really liked nocturne and i think that it is uh, Corey. it is a very very fine option to get into smt uh, again i i i still like most of the Persona games and Digital Devil Saga more, but uh, I really enjoyed Nocturne. I've heard only good things about Shin Megami Tensei 4. If you uh, if you can find a, a, a 3DS copy of that for cheap, that might be a great choice to get into it as well. Mm. And um, I mean, SMT5 is not far away, like something like less than a month. Yeah, it's November. I mean, by the time this goes up, yeah, it'll be about a month, yeah. Right. That might be my uh, entry point especially after what each of you just had to say about SMT3. <laughs> I, I mean, I didn't hate SMT3. I think I would have liked it more if I wasn't on such a crunch. Um, but yeah, I think it was like after I got to the end of those dungeons or like when you're going through dungeons where you have six different boss fights, which that Thunder one or Lightning one had, like I was just like, oh my gosh, like I like I, I get it. Like I always got it. And I was just like, okay, now I did reset and go like yeah, deal with this I, now. I know I, I I very specifically remember that boss. It, it's boss like three or four out of five or six in when one you have dungeon. to like select the correct statue. Yep. Um, well, it, it, it was the, but the boss was Moat, and it was in the Diet Building dungeon. But I, I yes. just don't remember. I just don't remember exactly how many bosses were there. At, at least five. Yeah, it was a lot. It was a second to last. It was the penultimate dungeon. So, yeah, um, yeah, it 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 it, it was a thing. I didn't particularly <laughs> enjoy that thing. <laughs> Um, but it wasn't terrible. I respected what it was doing. I just didn't enjoy what it was doing. So, so yeah, Shin Megami Tensei, uh, it has all of that Atlas flavor that many RPG fans love. Uh, in fact, people mockingly would call RPG fan SMT fan for how, uh, positively we reviewed Persona and Nocturne and other SMT games in the 2000s. But, uh, Corey, don't worry. You're not going to get fired just because you can't call yourself an SMT fan yet. But it looks like, uh, Nocturne four or five might be fair entry points for you, but we should maybe wait, maybe wait for a review for five first, just in case it ends up shocking the world and being a true lemon. Although that that's not what I would predict. Um, yeah. Yeah. It seems, seems kind of unlikely, unlikely but yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of things that seem unlikely, uh, I'm going to go with one of my choices next and confess um, listeners and, and Corey and Zach, if you follow me on Twitter, you might notice that I have a Mega Man raising his fist avatar. And that's because I enjoy Mega Man and many of his forms and iterations over the years. But somehow I have never played a Mega Man Battle Network game, which is unusual because I was playing a lot of Game Boy Advance games in the early 2000s. I love Mega Man almost unconditionally. And there's a lot of Mega Man Battle Network fans on the website. I don't have a great excuse why I haven't played one, except that, I don't know, by the, by the time I was interested in them, like there, there was something like four of them, and they were mostly getting expensive. 
and I just wasn't sure about the combat or the format and had more than enough other uh, video games, both RPGs and not uh, to to play instead of Metal Mega Man Battle Network. So, uh, Corey or Zach, could either of you enlighten me a little bit on what this game is? Unfortunately, I cannot. Um, I think it's turn-based. <laughs> uh, the, <laughs> the fact that that's the way I'm saying it indicates how little I know about Metal Mega Man Battle Network. I, I will say that Corey and I's picks are much more shameful than this. <laughs> yeah, this is this is sort of niche. I mean, my only my only exposure to Mega Man Battle Network was that in the late two thousands, I worked at a Toys R Us, and somebody stole a copy of one of them, and we had to have an investigation. And I just vividly remember that trauma. Um, Probably because Mega Man Battle Network Two was going for like seventy dollars in two thousand nine. Yeah, I mean, it, it's certainly a sympathetic uh, heist, but uh, I never played it either. I, I remember kind of always wanting to play it. I also think it's turn-based. It had a cool art style. Um, and I, I liked, as a kid, I played a lot of the uh, mainline Mega Man games, but I never made my way to the Battle Network series. Yeah, I don't think I've ever played, uh, I, gosh, this is another confession. I don't think I've ever played a Mega Man game to completion. Um, Sometimes the end game in Mega Man can get pretty challenging. Yeah, so, like, uh, I, it, it, yeah, go ahead. When I, I mean, like when I was a kid, like I this is like like this is like rental era, um, and so like I rented Mega Man Two a lot, um, and my cousin is like super into Mega Man, um, and at least he was. Um, and I don't think I was ever good enough to beat one. Like I have Mega Man X on my SNES classic and I'm like, Oh, this seems fun. And then like, Oh, this is also hard. And then I quit. <laughs> it's kind of, how my, so okay. I've uh, definitely never played battle network. Two, two things. First of all, for Mega Man X fight chill penguin first, because the upgrade in his stage will help you in every other stage. And second, I know a little bit about Mega Man Battle Network because, of course, I've done research on it because because I am who I am, I guess. But basically, you know how a Mega Man game will typically have eight bosses in that boss select three by three grid. Imagine two of those three by three grids next to each other and Mega Man's in one grid and a bunch of enemies are in the other grid. So you by moving around your grid and doing attacks somewhat frantically at times. Uh, is and and with you know both enemy attacks and your attacks having very specific areas of effect is kind of how combat works in that game. Again, I haven't played these; only done a little bit of reading about them. <laughs> um, and and there is a sort of Pokemon catch 'em all element, uh, looking for chips and upgrades and being able to uh, 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 build Mega Man in that way. Although he's usually called Mega Man Exe. And uh, some of the Mega Man Battle Network games had multiple versions, like a Pokemon Red, Blue, or Gold, Silver that had some that had some bosses and some chips in one and not the other. So, like all of those confounding factors, made the games a little bit more intimidating and somewhat less compelling to me. It's like this: I don't know if this is my Mega Man, and, I, and this battle system looks weird. I'm just going to play Final Fantasy Tactics again. Uh, kind of, kind of attitude toward it toward it so I, I would like to play them i i i've but i i've struggled to connect with modern Mega Man games like zx and star force and uh although i really really enjoyed Mega Man 11 when it uh when it hit a couple years ago so and, and oh and shoot there was a kickstarted game that is a lot like battle network that people were talking about uh i think early this year but yeah my memory of podcasts from february 2021 not the best i do not know 
but uh, Zach, I, I guess I guess all of us could confess to not having played Mega Man Battle Network. I'll have to, you know, um, message Caleb or something to see what the best starting point is for those. But Zach, there is another grid-based game that we can talk about today. That's uh, one of your picks. So I, shamefully, shamefully, have never played a Disgaea game. Oh, this wounds me. I, I, I played so much Disgaea in the 2000s, including the times when I could have been playing Mega Man Battle Network instead. <laughs> I, uh, you know, um, so it's kind of a strange thing. So, like, I, I know, because I know you're, uh, both of my picks, as you mentioned before we recorded, were kind of geared at you slow because I didn't have thing to say, things to say about them. Um, but I, I, I don't always love tactical RPGs. Sometimes I think they're a little not that tactical <laughs> um, and just sort of about, like, making sure that you hit things in the right way. And like I, I the first tactics RPG I ever played was final fantasy tactics Mine too. and everything from there just doesn't live up to it. Um, and so like, I, I, I sometimes I'm like eh, with, with tactics games. I've like, I've never played a fire emblem. I didn't, I didn't say this, but I've never beaten a fire emblem game. I've played a number of them. Um, so, but yeah, but like the ridiculousness of it and the big numbers of it, that sounds like my jam. And that sounds like something I need to play. And so I will definitely play Disgaea 1 at some point. I've got it on the Switch. I will play it. But yeah, I've, I've never never touched them. Okay, I have a lot to say about this. But Corey, I'm going to give you a chance first. Uh, what's your background with Disgaea? And uh, maybe something you could tell Zach about it. Unfortunately, I think I'm going to need Zach to check to see if the confessional can fit too. Because I've <laughs> never, ever played a Disgaea game. And I... I all I know about Disgaea is that you can get to something like a level a thousand and the numbers are just completely off the wall. And for me, that's a turnoff. Um, I find that kind of overwhelming. Um, and so I've not ever thought too hard about the series. I'm open to leaving this podcast, you know, on a mission to play it, but <laughs> I'm in a similar boat. All right. Well, okay. To the surprise of neither of you, I wholeheartedly recommend you guys try Disgaea. And Corey, you're not wrong. You, uh, you can level up to 9,999, then reincarnate back to level one, but with higher base stats and level up to, to four nines again. And in fact, doing that multiple times is how to get, you know, how to maximize your characters in this game. But also, uh, perhaps surprisingly, like the final boss of the story in that Disgaea 1 is level 89 or 90. It, like just playing through a Disgaea game is just, you know, a, a, a wacky strategy RPG with a lot of jokes and some demons and angels and humans uh, nonsense cast about. Uh, like, I, I know that maybe Zach doesn't love puzzle bosses, but the, like the, the, the grid based stuff in Disgaea is less about strategy and more about solving the map's puzzle and then, and then attacking your enemies with some combination of smart combos and brute, brute strength. You can win by grinding in Disgaea, but you don't really need to because there's so many weird tricks and gimmicks. And like finding the tricks and then exploiting them a little bit to make your characters gain 15 levels at once instead of slowly one by one uh, is is part of the fun wackiness of Disgaea. And the, the storylines are completely uh, parody, anarchy, uh jokes that are sometimes great and sometimes fall very flat uh, i'm not going to defend all of the humor and weirdness in disgaea but i i really really like the series especially one two and four 
Um, I uh, there was a, a remake called Disgaea Dimensions that I thought was pretty that was kind of weak. And then Disgaea Three is not bad, but I just like the other three more. And I haven't played Disgaea Five or Six to my own shame, but that's a that that's not this kind of confessional. Uh, but but Zach, if you have um the Switch version of Disgaea One, that's a perfect starting point. Uh, Corey, you can really start with any Disgaea game that you want that looks interesting or you can find on sale. Just notice, know if, if someone completely comes in from out of left field and seems to know everyone, that they're probably from an older Disgaea game, but it's not important. <laughs> the, uh, the the stories can get surprisingly sweet and poignant in in the Disgaea games, but they're not as important as just like the, the amusement of of crashing down in, in riding a giant meteor into a group of enemies or leveling your your sword up to level 100 and then finding a better sword at the boss inside your sword like th- th- that's the kind of goofy exploitative stuff that you have in the Disgaea game you you have to you you have to bribe or beat up a demon uh judge to have him pass a law that improves your your chances at finding an item like that that's the kind of stuff that's going on in these <laughs> games I mean, it seems like you're almost describing like my favorite elements, and I hate to bring this series up because you're gonna get mad at me. My I favorite am? elements of Yakuza. Oh sure. <laughs> why, why, why would I get mad? Because you know Yakuza Zero. Oh, the history oh with that game. okay. Now, now I am mad. All right, I remember why I should be mad. Like I, I, I love Yakuza. Why does he think I would be? Oh right. Okay. I'm All right. sorry. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, like I like that kind of like vaguely satirical nonsensical just like i might not love like strategy rpgs but like that's not why i would play this game you know what i mean like i would play it because it's it's so wild and goes so hard all the time that sounds like the kind of thing that i want to play you should play it or uh, or at least give it a shot if you already own one of them yeah absolutely i plan to so Corey, even though you're afraid of leveling up into the thousands are you one percent more interested in this guy now like a solid 10%. I also mission accomplished. I, yeah, and Disgaea, it seems like one or more entries may always be on some kind of a sale on PSN. Like I've I've definitely I can make this happen. I can make this happen. Oh yeah, I I, I again I haven't played Disgaea 5 yet, but I totally bought it on sale because it was 75% off on on Switch one time. So it's it's they're not uh it's not the PSP, PS2 era anymore. The, you, you can find these games easily. Uh, the accessibility shouldn't be an issue. Mm-hmm. But um, wrapping your head around what Disgaea is and embracing it rather than uh, being intimidated by it, that, that might be an issue. So, but, but, I, but I encourage both you and our listeners, give Disgaea a try. I've only been trying to get a Disgaea game on Retro Encounter <laughs> for four and a half years hey, or so. I've voted for it every time Un- it's come up. Unsuccessfully. <laughs> How uh, how long is a standard issue Disgaea game? Like, are we talking like twenty to thirty hours, or am I devoting a month of my life? Um, uh, just beating the storyline, maybe forty hours, maybe forty to fifty. Okay. Uh, but if you want to get real weird and beat the super bosses that are level six thousand or more, and uh, and unlock every single dumb thing to unlock, then you're starting to go into maybe triple digits. Which is how, which is my experience with Disgaea one and one and two. Um, I, four I like as much as those, but just because of time management reasons, I, c- I couldn't go deep into the end game for Disgaea four. But like beating the game normally, between thirty and forty five hours, say, uh, exploring everything Disgaea has to offer. Maybe don't play any other games for a month. I don't know that I need that right now, but I'm still interested. That's fine. Like, like beating the Disgaea games, just going through the main story and having a laugh with it is 
great. I, 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 that's probably a healthier way to play it. But if, if you really want to go to the deep end of the pool with this guy, uh, it, it is almost unfathomably deep. Speaking um, of unfathomably deep. <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh, I was looking for the right transition and maybe you found it. Uh, uh, Corey, if, if Zach picks this guy to target me a little bit, I'm concerned your second pick might be targeting Zach a little bit. Uh, wh- why don't you give us your next confession? <sighs> I just, before I do that, I just want to confirm with you both that this remains a healing space, a space of redemption and acceptance. Like, we're still on the same page, right? Positivity and acceptance, and we will do our best to to, uh, educate you and recommend to you. I'll Uh, do my best. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so this next one, this next one has been weighing on me quite a bit uh, for a long time, but you actually recently had a retro, maybe a month of a podcast about one of the entries in this series that I listened to. We we have done, we have done three months on this series technically, or, or, or at least three, uh, uh, three games of which Zach was on two episodes, uh, uh, two months and I was on two months. Well, that does not make me feel better, but recently there was, there was one and it, made the game sound really, really up my alley. So I've, I know this is a big fan favorite at RPG fan, but I've never played any of the Suikoden games. Um, yeah, I know. If you want to take a I'm moment, if you need to sit with that, Zach, that's fine. We can just take just a breather. Joking, <laughs> <laughs> okay, can uh, I start? <laughs> no, not, not, not yet. Uh, uh, Corey, first, I, I want you to continue a little bit. What's your impression of what Suikoden is and maybe, maybe a reason that uh, it's missed you? All right, so... Um, and I say this not only to get back in Zach's good graces, but my perception is that it's probably one of the best series I've never played. I mean, it seems pretty lighthearted, much more so than SMT. I know it's a turn-based RPG series. Um, it's based, or at least some of the entries at least are based on a, um, a classical uh, acclaimed Chinese novel, which sounds appealing and makes me want to play. I know that in one of the games, at least, you can collect something like 108 protagonists, which sounds awesome, although also intimidating, um, but still awesome. Um, and I don't have a great reason for never really having played it. I didn't know what the series was, though, until maybe the mid to late 2000s, um, because at least where I grew up, the, the marketing for Suikoden was not great, and didn't do much to elevate it over the pack of more, I'll say, mainstream games that ate up a lot of my attention, like Final Fantasy and Dragon Quest. Um, like, I remember Suikoden 1 into uh, late 90s, early 2000s at my local Toys R Us, but I remember not really seeing any advertising for it, didn't know what they were. It just didn't ping. Um, and since then, I mean, I've heard a ton about the series, obviously, and it's been super promising. But, you know, I say I want to go back and play it. It's probably my biggest confession to make here today. But I don't really know how to go back and play it. Because it seems like if I wanted to to do that, I would need to dig up a PlayStation 1, 2, or 3, which doesn't sound appealing. Um, is that right? Uh, well, or PSP or Vita. Correct. Okay. Those, those work as well. But, uh, Zach, let's have you... Um, 
not correct, but what can you say that might help Corey and his Suikoden journey? Zach, correct me all you want. Please go to town. No, no, you, you, you had it right. I mean, like, so every every mainline Suikoden game, and actually even a lot of the spinoff games, like Tear Christ, and there's one that's being fan localized now as well, um, allows you to collect 108 stars. So you have 108 protagonists, which I know... And it probably sounds very intimidating, but actually in most games, it's pretty natural, um, especially one and two, which are the ones that I would recommend the most. And especially because those are the two that you can play on PSP and Vita. Three and four, you'd only be able to play on PS3 at this point. Um, and five, you'd have to send me a DM in Slack and say, Zach, can I borrow your copy so we can in five? And the answer would be yes. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I mean, you, you captured a lot of what the, ga- the games are, but I think that one of the things that um, really distinguishes Suikoden from other series is the maturity of its storytelling. Because um, it's interesting because you listen to Suikoden 3, it sounds like to me. Um, and Suikoden 3 has, has really strong storytelling overall, but it is not in my opinion, one of the strongest entries um, because one of the other things that distinguishes it is that it has like a pace to it. Like Suikoden games move, like the first two in particular, they move, they're fast, they're quick. You could beat Suikoden 1. I mean, I can beat Suikoden 1 like in 10 hours now, but like the first time through, you can probably do it in 15. Um, Suikoden 2, 25 hours probably to collect all 108. Um, and when you collect all 108 stars, because you don't have to collect all 108 stars, um, you get a true ending, uh, which sometimes I'm not sure that I like better than the non-true ending, um, which I don't want to go too deep down that rabbit hole. But um, okay, okay, pause for a minute. I think this true ending in Suikoden Two is crucial, and in in Suikoden Three, it's maybe not crucial, but it's at least good. Is that is that fair? I think that the true ending in Suikoden Two, I have some real issues with. Hmm. Uh, is it crucial? I agree. Yeah, I mean, I think I I've gotten I, obviously I've seen them all, but. Um, I really don't like what they do with one of the main characters and what okay, how okay. he treats some people. We've talked about this before. Yeah, yes, I, I and I agree with that. But I I also in, gen, in general love that true ending in spite of the decisions yeah. of one character. It's weekend in five. I don't think it's crucial. Let's put it that way. And Suikoden in five is definitely where it is the most difficult to collect all hundred eight. There are some real shenanigans you have to go through in that game. That's like an eighty hour game too. Um, so Suikoden in five, I don't think is a place I would start. Um, but so we can one or two are snappy. They're quick, great, great characters, um, great stories about like usually two clashing forces. It's always like going to be like very, um, like this country against this country. And like, there are reasons for it or they're rebelling against, uh, the country they live in. And there are usually aren't a lot of like true villains in the Suikoden series, except for one, which is probably the best RPG character or villain of all time. Which is Luca Blight and Suikoden 2, which we also have an episode about. Um, they just they do characters so well. They do they do so many things so well. Uh, Suikoden 2 is my favorite game of all time. So <laughs> um, yeah, it, it's uh, I think it's just amazing, and I could go on, but I will stop talking. <laughs> You've done a much better job than their marketing team. I'll tell you that you that, just I, I, if you've ever seen the cover of the Suik- of Suikoden one in this country. Yes. Oh my yeah, goodness, it's, it's, incompre- <laughs> it's incomprehensible. <laughs> I I, uh, I owned Suikoden one and three and tried them, but never really got into either of them until uh, we decided to play Suikoden two for the podcast in twenty eighteen. Yeah, twenty eighteen. So my first real Suikoden experience uh, or was playing Suikoden two for the first time, 
and uh, Zach was selling it just right. That game is breathtaking. There, it is. It it moves at a good pace. There are some incredible moments of drama. The uh, the combat and boss fights are always at least pretty good, except for a few strategy battle sequences that we let's not talk about those. Um, collecting the 108 characters and building and filling your castle town with them is hugely satisfying and fun. And and it's not like and it, Corey calling them all protagonists is a little misleading. Some of them are as simple as finding a blacksmith that's marginally better than a different blacksmith. <laughs> uh, but, but some of them um, have dedicated side quests and big personalities that are super fun. Um, and then I played my sweet, my second Suikoden game in Suikoden 3 for the podcast earlier this year and thought that game was not quite as good as Suikoden 2, but a really, really solid PlayStation 2 game. Um, I, I like Suikoden 2 and 3 a lot. Uh, like I, I think 2 is better than 3 for reasons that have been well-documented on our niche circles for more than 20 years, but uh, they're worth seeking out. And I do want to play more Suikoden games uh, soon. I think that it would not be out of character for us to try and play uh, a different Suikoden game for the podcast. Um, if n- not this year, maybe next year or the year after in advance of Aoden Chronicles. Um, is it, or is it, is it Aoden Chronicles singular? It's Aoden Chronicle. Yeah, it's correct. Chronicle, you're right. Okay. I, it, it's it, I, I realize I said it, said it wrong somehow. Yeah, it think. gets uh, as a person who's proved things, it's, it gets said wrong all the time. <laughs> yeah, I, I believe it. But anyway, um, uh, the the creator of Suikoden, or at least it's it's mo- its biggest architect at the beginning, uh, kickstarted the game um, Aoden Chronicle very successfully a little while ago. That that had uh, many RPG fan staffs hearts aflutter. Let's let's say. I was maybe at the top of that list. <laughs> but uh, Corey, um, maybe uh, again, again, I was on the podcast for Sweet It Ends 2 and 3. Zach was on the podcast for Sweet It Ends 5 and 3. And uh, all of those games are at least really good and worth seeking out. I don't know what your access to a PlayStation 1, 2, 3P or Vita are, but it, if you have a chance and the price is right, I, I would recommend any of those. I may or may not be on eBay right now. Just going <laughs> to drop that. Excellent choice. Ah, <laughs> physical media, not dead yet. <laughs> you can buy them online, one, two, three, and four, and they're going to be way cheaper. So five, five is a little hard to find. Except I, for five. I, I, I did a little bit of looking around for five a couple months before we did that podcast, and I wasn't able to find one at, at a reasonable price, so I decided not to do the podcast. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't close or anything. It was a, this was months in advance. But... Uh, that's one of the most beloved of them. Like, uh, Leona is a huge Sweet and 5 fan. 5 and 2 are the two best ones. Yeah, for sure. And 1 is right there. I love 1. You know, I, I agree that 3 wasn't as good as 2, but I thought that just, like, the 108 stars in 3 had a lot of personality. Like, mm-hmm. just, just finding all of the people in, in 3 was really fun and satisfying. If that's something you value, then 5 does that better than any other game in the series. Like, the 108 and 5 are just outstanding like it's a pain and it's a long game um to get all 108 but they're amazing um like the 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 way they flush them out and it doesn't have the same localization issues that two does but yeah it's it's a great game is there any realistic hope for a remaster or a re-release i mean konami's just put out a castlevania remaster so maybe 
they've put out three Castlevania remasters in three years, uh, one of them very recently. So Konami's not really in the business of making new games anymore, but they damn sure are in the business of re- of uh, re-releasing their older ones. There's also that Contra um, pack mm-hmm. that is uh, that was released, I think, at the same time as the as the as the uh, the, the the second Castlevania one that has all the old arcade games in it. So uh, again, I don't think it would be totally out of character for a Suikoden re-release, but I haven't heard a peep about it. And um, and having them go into a full remake would be unlikely just for just due to the amount of text in those games. I think. Yeah, I think a full remake is pretty unlikely. And I also think that getting a re-release on Switch would be unlikely for anything except one and two, just because three, four, and five are all PS2 games. Um, that are likely a little more challenging to port properly. Um, but one and two are, I mean, and one of the last thing I will say is I would play one before two, um, just because those two games are so interlocked in my head um, because they take place like two years apart from each other. And that's one of the things we didn't talk about. Like each game like builds on, it all takes place in the same world and they all build on each other, but they all live on their own. Like Slosi played two without having played one and he still loved two. Um, but correct. I think there is a special kind of beauty to Suikoden 2 if you've played Suikoden 1 first. That, that's consistent with what I've heard. Um, I, I did not play Suikoden 1 before 2. I loved Suikoden 2, but every indication is that it is quite rewarding to play 1 and 2 back-to-back. And a Suikoden 1 and 2 collection on any modern system would be... Uh, I, I think very, very well received. I'd be awake if, until if, yeah. 3 a.m. Don't worry. I'd buy it whenever <laughs> it came out. I own them both long- <laughs> physically and on my PSP, and I would still be up until 3 a.m. to buy them. <laughs> I own one physically and both of them on PSP, and I would also get that connect collection. But, all right, speaking of uh, remasters and recent collections, <laughs> sure, why not? Um, the, the next, uh, my next confession is, uh, with some, for some games that have had somewhat recent remasters and, um, which means I have fewer reasons than ever to not play them. Um, I am in a broad sense, uh, for my next confession saying, uh, Bioware D and D games. I have never played Baldur's Gate or Neverwinter Nights or their sequels other than maybe trying to create a character in Baldur's Gate 1 in a friend's place, because I think he said he told me Baldur's Gate 2 was his favorite game of all time. This would have been in high school in the early 2000s. Uh, And all I know is that they are sort of the games that put Bioware on the map, a beloved developer that is maybe going through somewhat hard times recently, because the less said about Mass Effect Andromeda and Anthem, the better. But uh, Baldur's Gate and its sort of action RPG (laughs) spinoff in the same setting, Neverwinter Nights, are both really beloved games i think neverwinter nights one has six expansions maybe more plus fan-made modules over the decades uh uh, baldur's gate is in that old um infinity engine with that sort of uh paused to take for characters to take actions and 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 uh but when you unpause enemies sort of follow the same rules as the players but can but act uh but it can act quickly uh really excellent writing and characters a pretty robust character creation with a lot of options and uh, uh, multiple endings and 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 care and sort of story paths and also being set in the D and D, I want to say 3.0 universe uh, and the forgotten in in a in a setting called Forgotten Realms. Again, I don't. I also haven't really. This is maybe a bigger confession. I really haven't played D and D for more than a single session. Um. 
and this is not a video game RPG, which again is the focus of RPGfan.com, but <laughs> I am I am I am simply just not a pen and paper RPG guy. And uh and and maybe that has um is part of why I could never get into the Baldur's Gate or Neverwinter Nights games, despite trying two of them at various points many, many years ago. Uh and I I know that there's a person named Drist who people seem to like a lot in in, in one of them. Uh but yeah, uh, can you guys in, uh, educate me a little bit on these Forgotten Realms D&D RPGs? I cannot. Um, <laughs> your story is actually very similar to mine. Like I played, I think I sat down to play D&D one time and I was like, eh, um, that was fine. Um, and I never did it again because um, it seems like a lot of work. <laughs> um, and I have kind of dabbled in some of those Bioware games. Uh, I mean, like I've dabbled in Knights of the Old Republic, too. Um, like, I actually don't think I've oh, this is also embarrassing to admit. I don't think I've ever played a Bioware game to completion. So I am maybe not the right person to ask about this. I, I'm, a, I'm a JRPG person through and through, I suppose, in some ways, <laughs> uh, which uh, means that I have not played those games. Well, I'm. Uh... To maybe clarify it a little bit for myself, I adore the Dragon Age and most of the Mass Effect games. I've played the first three of each of them and expansions to a couple of them. And part of what made me makes me love Dragon Age Origins so much is for how JRPG it is. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's the most JRPG-feeling Western RPG I've ever played. But uh, and, and I've also played Jade Empire, which I thought was pretty good. So like like I enjoy some Bioware things which made me interested in old Bioware stuff, but I, I never really put meaningful time into any of the Forgotten Realms games or Knights of the Old Republic. I can give you, I guess, an intro course on uh, these Baldur's Gate games. I played the first one uh, to completion just last year, actually, and I played some of two, um, and I, I was in a similar boat. I had played maybe KOTOR and like very few other um, of these uh, Bioware classics. Um, and I, I wasn't expecting it, but Baldur's Gate one, at least really held up. I mean, I had a lot of fun with it. Was this, um, the, was this the beam dog remake that you can find on steam and other places? Uh, it was, I got it on switch. I think it was just a port of, um, what, what are they? They did like a remaster like 10 years after the release. I think it may have just been a port of that. Okay, that, I, I think those are the Beam Dog ones, but I, I would have to do uh, more research than I prepared for this podcast. <laughs> Likewise, uh, but they were Baldur's Gate one was good. I mean, one of the things that really struck me was that right off the bat, you can actually explore most of the game's world. Um, it isn't quite open world, but you're free to wander as you please, and obviously, you'll get crushed if you wander in, into an area with high level monsters, but there's a really invigorating sense of freedom to the game that I hope I won't get knocked too hard for saying this, that I don't always find in JRPGs. I find more commonly in Western RPGs. Um, um, Linearity or let's say non-linearity is more of a feature in Western RPGs than JRPGs. And again, it differs very strongly from game to game, whether it's more or less linear, but speaking in generalizations, that's totally fair. And this game is perhaps one of the least linear games I've ever played, which I thought was really freeing and kind of exciting for, I don't know, 10 hours, 12 hours. And then you reach the other side of the coin and that the game does not hold your hands at all. And it's really hard. Um, 
like I think I wiped more often than I actually cleared encounters and I had to save maybe every five minutes, which I understand is pretty common uh, for at least the first Baldur's Gate. Um, I mean, you'll walk right into uh, a level six boar or something, and then you go 20 feet and there's uh, like an end game boss or not an end game boss, but some super high level creature that just kills you on sight. Um and so it can be kind of frustrating dealing with that. Um, thankfully, that's something that few Western RPGs really uh, do anymore. Um, you know, Baldur's Gate 1 at least had a really appealing art design that I thought held up pretty well. And I thought the soundtrack was pretty good. I mean, it really fueled you for battle. And um, it didn't have any voice acting, and I was okay with that. Um, but that might be a turnoff to some. Um, the only thing, Mike, about Baldur's Gate that... Really, I guess both of you that you might not love. Um, you have to really like the D and D mechanics underlying the combat because that's that's why you're playing. Um, I mean that and like developing a character as you please. It really takes center stage the uh, the battle system. Yeah, I, the character creation and class system is very appealing to me because I, I love class systems as much as anyone an RPG fan. But uh, the the dice roll mechanics I'm less enthused about and the non-linearity is something that I find a little overwhelming. Like a, there's a very non-linear Western R- action RPG from, Oh my God, probably 15 years ago that I love called sacred and the size of the map and the ability to accidentally go too far in one place was more uh, scary than appealing to me. So I, like, I'm not sure about the non-linearity of Baldur's Gate because I would just worry that I had missed something that was a little too close to the starting area. But that, that just might be my JRPG brain poisoning my tastes and preferences. Well, it's frankly annoying to kind of get hit with the game over screen without warning. And the game doesn't do the best job of... Um, like, there are autosave features, but I think they could be a little better. Hmm. The autosave is probably new to the recent versions of the game because in, in 99 or 2000 or whenever Baldur's Gate 1 came out, they, they definitely didn't autosave for you. Yeah, I mean, they definitely tried to modernize it some. Um, like, you, there's an easy mode, for example. Um, playing on Switch, you can't install mods, but they actually loaded the game with a couple mods that make, make things pretty simple if you want them to be. And there's a, a huge community of uh, of player made mods for both Baldur's Gate and Neverwinter Nights. Um, I, I saw when I was doing a little bit of research for this podcast, I saw that there was a 2019 update to uh, the to Neverwinter Nights one, which I think is a 2002 PC game that also had like a PC a, a PS2 version. <laughs> so uh, so so mod support and fan communities are not a weakness of these. There there's a, it's it's thriving and out there. And if I and probably. Uh, probably could add modern conveniences to these games, even even if you play the older versions. Yeah, and I, I misspoke some. Um, when I say mods, I, I mean kind of in-game options that the uh, developer added in that are inspired by some fan-made mods. I don't think that the mods themselves that folks created are in the game, but just as you say, it does make things more convenient um, and it simplifies things. And uh, Baldur's Gate needs that, at least the first one. Well, uh, thank you. I am now a little bit more interested in playing these Baldur's Gate. Uh, probably the PC remakes is what I would fo- is what I would uh, concentrate on because that just seems right playing an old Bioware game on PC. But speaking of games whose very first entry needs some help to be playable in the modern age, 
Um, Zach, <laughs> that, that, Nicely that is, done. Uh, you know, it, it, it's true, but it's incomprehensible unless you already know what game we're about to talk about, like Zach and I do. Uh, Zach, what is your final confession for this episode? I have never played an East game. Well, you're already starting off on a good for on a good foot because you pronounced it correctly. So, <laughs> so uh, what are your impressions, thoughts of East as a uh, as a non-player right now? You know, it's funny because like I've been aware of East for almost two decades now. Um, I feel like <clears throat> as a reader of RPG fan for a very long time. Um, in the early two thousands, I was seeing reviews for East Book One and Two for the turbo graphics um and people were saying like really positive things about it like oh like the storytelling's really interesting and like it's like you know got like this like mood to it that's like really fascinating and i was like oh i should play that and then like i was emulating a lot but like it wasn't super easy to emulate uh turbo graphics cd games apparently so i wasn't really able to do it at that point and then it just kind of fell off my radar and like I've been aware of them over the years and I've heard that they're good. I know that Origins supposedly good, Seven's good, uh, Oath and Fogana. Like I own all of them on my PC because like they're like free basically on Steam during the Steam sales. Um and I wanna play them. Um, but I've also gotten the impression that like they're a little bit light on story and like maybe the combat's a little bit basic sometimes. I have heard that. I'm not saying that is necessarily a negative. Like I'm not like, I like action RPGs sometimes, um, but, you know, it's never really seemed like something that is, like, super compelled me. Like, oh, this game is amazing and you must play it. I've, I've never really felt like I was in that position with these. All right. Um, I definitely have some thoughts on this because I'm somewhat of a born again East fan. I, I didn't I didn't get into the series until. Uh, oh, boy, maybe eight years ago, nine years ago, something like something like that. But uh, Corey, what's your East background to share? Until recently, I was um, where Zach was, but like he mentioned, these games are always on sale, and I scooped up um, East 8 earlier this year. That and counts. Yeah, and that's the only one I've played, but it was, I mean, it was a lot of fun. If you like fast-paced action RPG combat, Zach, you should definitely give it a look. But you did hit the nail on the head. Um, the story, its presence, it like kind of propels you forward, but you will probably not think about it much after the game ends um and i don't know if i'd say the combat is basic it's a little it veers toward being simple um but there are lots of combos that i you know didn't spend a whole lot of time playing around with but if i wanted to i could have and i think there's a lot of complexity there um the world at least in east eight is really pretty um it's it's kind of cool like you are on a ship and you are attacked, I think, by some kind of sea monster, and you wind up on this uh, remote island, and you discover uh, the other castaways who survived on the island, and you form sort of a like a home base, a village. Um, so there's a cool like town building aspect to it. Um, definitely not the most uh, compelling story, but everything else about the game I enjoyed. All right, where to begin? The, the, the thing is, Corey, you talked about East 8 and, and Zach more casually mentioned East, Oath and Felgana and Origin. Those are almost two different worlds of East, two different chapters of it. There's there's a I, I hope I don't go into over explanation mode here, but there are basically three versions of East. There's what I call Lawnmower East, where it, which is the first couple games 
where you deal damage by just walking into enemies. And if you walk into them directly, you and the enemy both take damage. If you walk into them at an angle, they take damage and you don't. And if they walk into you at an angle or, or at the, from the side or rear, then you take damage and they don't. They're, they're, they're like sumo wrestling or mowing a lawn. They're weird. Um, and But they're not bad. If you are at least intrigued by that late 80s sort of uh, like a proto RPG, action RPG. Um, but and so playing East 1 or 2 is a fun experience, but more for, you know, going back after playing a better East game, I think, and if you want the education of East 1 and 2. But th- those have been re- made and remade multiple times for the PSP, DS, PC. There's, there's a lot of ways to play East 1 and 2. Zach, you do not need to emulate a TurboGrafx-16 anymore. Um, but then you have the next era of East, which I call the Hipster Zelda era. Where, uh, where East 6, Oath and Felgana, which is a remake of 3, and uh, East Origin, which is which t- takes place a thousand years before Adol, who is the main character of all the East games, uh, was born. Uh, those are sort of walking around big dungeons, uh, sort of hack and slash RPGs, where they, the combat is basic. Adol will only have maybe, or, or, or a Unica in the case of East Origin, will only have a, a couple different sword moves and then between three and five spells or special abilities. Like, it's, it's, it's like a top-down Zelda game, but with fewer items, but, uh, but faster action. And um, I really, really like those, especially Oath and Felgana and East Origin. They're, those are both great, great games. I played them both on PC, but you can also get them on PSP. Uh, I think Origin is on Switch and PS4. But they both come highly recommended by me. Then the third, the third chapter of of East is what I call Hipster Secret of Mana, where all of them have uh, a party of three. Uh, Adol is the main character, but he meets a colorful cast of anime weirdos along the way. Uh, but and it's a little bit, a little bit button mashy, hack and slashy. Uh, like every character will have a bunch of skills, but it ultimately just comes down to. Uh, like dodging and guarding well while pulling off your strongest combo at the opportune moment. It, it can be, a, like, there isn't a ton of, of nuance to combat. I would compare it to maybe a dynasty warriors game um, or, or a Musou game, I, I guess. Cause the, the, those, that series is definitely not just dynasty warriors anymore, but uh, those have been really, really successful. I think that East eight and East nine are like the two best selling East games. And, um, uh, East 7 is only PSP and PC, but East 8 and 9 are PC, PS4, and uh, I think Switch and other systems as well. And Zach, if you're interested in East, I would recommend almost all of them. Like like from Oath and Felgana onward, <laughs> just pick which one looks cool. Like Oath and Felgana and East Origin are more about dungeon navigation and sort of using t- and top-down combat, while East... Seven, eight, and nine are much heavier on story. Oh, also, uh, Memories of Salsetta, which is a remake of Oldies Four. Um, they're they're much they have much more story and characters. Uh, the last three are very focused on item collecting and map completion. Um, in 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 East Eight, you're looking for other castaways that were stranded on the island. In East Nine, you're looking for intrigue in this giant dungeon underneath the town that you're living in. Uh, it's there's more story in the later East games than the previous ones, to which point I think there's almost too much story. Like, like East has been slightly trailsified over the couple of years, over the past couple of years, because instead of being about adventure and dungeon crashing, it's become, they've built a lot of lore over the years with things like tribe of darkness and uh, the, and, 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 and an ancient civilization of angels 
and um, intrigue around the, the uh, taking down the the empire that's take, slowly taking over the world. East has been building on its own lore more in the past, say, ten years than they have in the previous twenty years of East. And uh, I would recommend playing any of them made after two thousand that look good, Zach, because I've played almost all of them, and I like almost all of them. Uh, so. Yeah, I've been talking too long, but uh, do you have any questions or are you at least a little more interested in the East than before we started recording? I mean, I think that you've made me maybe slightly more interested in the East and also a little more educated on it. I mean, I, I guess I was kind of aware of some of those like different eras um, and like that there was like this weird like side scrolling Zelda 2 era. Yes, um, that was in the 90s with the original version of East 3. And that's why I thought East was bad for a year. because I, <laughs> right. I, 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 play, I played that on the Super Nintendo, hated it, then didn't play East for a decade. Uh, then and then played literally it's a remake for Oath and Felgana in the early 2010s and like oh this game is dope I want to play all of them now so I did yeah I feel like Memories of Salsetta and Oath and Felgana are the two that have always struck me as the best starting points or maybe Origin um, has struck me as well like I, I definitely have interest in it and I want to play it it's just like there's always something else is <laughs> what it boils down to there's always something else Mostly Final Fantasy fourteen, but always something else at this point. And none of them are the biggest commitment. Um, Origin and Felgana are both in the ten to twelve hour range. The old one and two are really short. Like I think one you could probably beat one in three hours and two in five hours. Uh, but then the the recent ones like eight and nine are probably forty hour RPGs. Memories of Celsetta and seven are in the twenty to twenty five hour range. Like again, they're becoming bigger and more story heavy and robust. And I almost, I almost wish that they would harken back to the days, days of a twelve-hour East, uh, but that, that's definitely not where it's going. It's they're, they're going, they're going yeah. bigger and more with East, especially if the last two were successful. Yes, yeah, they're not going to go in a different direction. And Nihon Falcom like has like a particular thing nowadays. So, yeah, long games. <laughs> they, they want people to get their money's worth. They want, they're targeting the kind of people that say that. that that measure games in hours per dollar, which is which is not me, but uh, I, I I did play eight and nine. I, I wrote the RPG fan review, review of East Nine, um, and I, I thought they were great, but I also wish they were. I thought they were a little bit much. Fair enough. So, still Oath of Volgano, Memories of Selsetta, Origin. Okay. They're all on my PC. I, I, I'm looking at them all right now on my Steam library. <laughs> I, uh, I think this is a slightly uncommon opinion, but I really love East 7. It, it's either my favorite or second favorite. And uh, okay. I think it's because it's like they hadn't quite gotten obsessed with map completion like in later East games. And it's, it has the most Dogi of any uh, East game. <laughs> and, and Dogi's, Dogi's my favorite character in the series that's an excellent and, choice yeah and and also he uh I, I there's two or three twists in that game a lot a lot of these games have have surprise twists but it, it uh the twist the story twist in east 7 i think hit me the hardest of all the east stories okay that's um so it's yes yeah, although yeah we didn't mention it yet really but seven comes very highly recommended by me it was originally psp but now it's also on pc so let's see we've talked a little bit about uh how cory has yet to play a shin megami tensei or suikoden game zach still has disgaea and east missing from his resume and i have never put hard time into Baldur's gate neverwinter nights or Mega Man battle network so I, I think that's enough confession for today uh we can go you know have some of the communion communion wine and then uh and then go and you know uh, feel our own private shame until it's time for our next confession <laughs> which uh according to the 
pace of this podcast won't be for another two or three years. <laughs> <laughs> but listeners, thank you so much for listening to us confess our RPG sins over the past hour ish. Uh, and thank you, Zach and Corey, for agreeing to appear on my on this podcast because the last time we did a confession, neither of you had joined the site yet. Which makes, which you know, made me think it was ripe for another one of these, and also makes me feel a little old. So thanks for that. <laughs> Don't worry, I'm still older than you, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> no comment from Corey. I, I noticed. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, listeners, if you want to um, find out what the future of Retro Encounter holds, some shockingly uh, cogent to what we talked about today. Next week, we we're talking about we're doing two episodes or let's say the first of two episodes on Cosmic Star Heroine, that mid-2010s uh, retro-style RPG from Z-Boyd Games. I have just barely started it, but fortunately it's not exactly a 100-hour uh, Disgaea post-game level of RPG, so I should be able to finish it in a timely manner before part two. But uh, following Cosmic Star Heroine, we're doing two episodes in November on East Origin, a game that we ca- that we casually mentioned over, the po- over this podcast. <laughs> I wasn't sure if you were going to mention it yet or not, so that's why I didn't no. say that. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's it's less than a month off, so I don't I don't I don't mind bringing it up. Um, East Origin's really good. It's the only East game that does not star Adel Kristen uh, because it has. Uh, it, it because it has multiple characters, multiple story paths, and uh, a lot of connections to stuff that happens in East One and Two. I, I think every boss from East One and Two is in East Origin uh, in in some form. But we we will talk about that in those episodes next month. I have not played East Origin since I binged and played like six East games in in three months in the neighborhood of 2013 or 2014. So I'm excited to revisit that for the first time in a long time. But also in November, we're doing two episodes on Star Trek video games. Um, Star Trek has had a number of games over the years, including at least two pretty interesting adventure games. So fortunately, one of our uh, one of RPG fans, biggest Star Trek fans, and biggest adventure game fans are the same person. So we, those Star Trek games, uh, we're doing two episodes on Star Trek, and both of them will be hosted by John O. Logan. But if you want to uh, email us or contact us about Cosmic Star Heroin, East, Star Trek, Mega Man Battle Network, uh, Disgaea, which, who, who your favorite star of Destiny is, you can email us at retro, excuse me, retro at rpgfan.com. Put the at in the wrong place there. Or also visit rpgfan.com's message boards, our Facebook page, our Instagram, our Twitter, our Discord, our YouTube, our Twitch. All of them are named rpgfan or rpgfan.com. Please interact with us however you choose. You also can listen to three other fine podcasts on RPGFan.com. There's Random Encounter, excuse me, Random Encounter every two weeks about randomness, Rhythm Encounter every two weeks about RPG music, and Phoenix Edge usually every week, usually about current events, but always something interesting to talk about. You can listen to Retro Encounter or those other three on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, all of the usual podcast venues. Please uh, listen. Please provide feedback. We love listeners. We love feedback. But if you want to give us feedback at a more individual level, Let's share our social media accounts with you that we are willing to share, starting with you, Zach. Uh, you can reach me via email at ZachW at RPGFan.com, or you can find me on RPG Fans Discord at ZachW. And Corey. You can find me on Twitter. My handle there is CoreyT810, and you could email me at CoreyT at RPGFan.com. 
and listeners, the best way to find me is probably Twitter. I am at the Real Monsoon most of the time. At Evoker for Dogs, other times. Evoker for Dogs is a persona joke, but I think my current handle on Evoker for Dogs is a Shin Megami Tensei joke, which I think which Corey referenced earlier, and I think I forgot to properly acknowledge when he did. But uh, if you want, if you don't want to find me on Twitter, I am also on the RPG Fan Discord as Monsoon Mike. So I don't know about the two of you, but I feel much better having confessed that I have never played a Mega Man Battle Network game and didn't know until literally yesterday that Mega Man Battle Network has like two select screens next to each other. <laughs> <laughs> it only took me, I don't know, uh, 20 years, let's say. Uh, but l- l- let's let's have our next confession in less than 20 years. Thank you. Good night. Good luck. <laughs>